Welcome to the fifth episode of the Open Score Conversations podcast. Today we have the multi-passionate pianist Chris Ao. It is rare to meet someone like Chris who has so much enthusiasm and energy for life. He doesn't let anything get in the way of his pursuits and enjoys bringing people along with him. He is a positive, resilient musician who is bursting at the seams with ideas on sharing classical music and making it accessible for everyone. In this podcast, you'll get a taste of Chris's passion towards using social media to leverage his career and his love for sharing classical music. We explore the challenges and the process of being a multi-passionate creative, how he healthily manages his time to be productive, advice he would give his younger conservatory self, and much more. Thank you very much, Chris, for your generosity with your time and your experiences. Let's begin with diving in on how deeply we want to give ourselves permission to be invested in the benefits of social media. I hope you enjoy. There are some people who are really successful on social media, particularly like YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, and they go all in. And by that, I mean, like, uh, I've been listening to uh, Mr. Beast on a podcast talk about how he obsessed over YouTube. He basically did nothing but YouTube. But even even before that, he's like he, he just obsessed over it, and I'm I'm curious to know whether we should obsess over it, like people who believe people like you and me who believe in the power of social media and using this platform as a way to connect with audiences and actually get our personal brand out there, but potentially make such a big revolutionary change. I mean, you have people like Tuset Valin who are already like honed into that, but I think in terms of piano, there's always this sort of it's a bit harder because with piano, you want to be in the glory of like people like Yuja and uh, D- Daniel Trivanov and Kissin. And you know that to go there, you need to go all in into piano and do nothing else, basically. And so there's, there's this like kind of disjunct of like, okay, I want to make sure I play really well and at, at the top of my level, but I also like feel like I believe in the social media thing. And so I wonder like, how do you balance that? And if one were to say, if someone were to say, I'm going to go all in on social media, I'm just going to do nothing but YouTube. I'm going to practice, obviously, but do nothing but YouTube for the next like five years and hone in on that and find a niche for myself. Do you, would you, do you think that's a good idea or not? Okay, I'm going to I'm going to give you to two very almost black and white type of stuff in my opinion because i think there's there's just so many options as i was speaking with um someone else social media it's so early on especially in the context of classical music it's literally the wild west you can do anything it's like the gold rush you can mm. find that gold you mine it and you go for it so i think yes you can there isn't anyone out there aside from yourself to say that you know, you can't have the same quality of playing as the top tier echelons of performers and still have an Instagram. You have Ray Chen out there. You have, you know, Yuja Wang doing it in her version, which is really just for like marketing and publicity and stuff. That's but who's to say that that's not social media? Like yeah. if if she decided, hey, I want to do social media, uh, maybe I'll just get on some stories and once a week I'll just like say something about my life. And even then that would be like oh she's like you know in the social media world now and i think it's very different for everybody yeah so yes there can be a healthy balance number two i I feel very honored that you think that i like have good level of playing and i have everything all under control because that is not the case at all (laughs) well we all have our own very levels yeah we all have (laughs) our own very levels yeah yeah and then number three i think yes 
you do have to be obsessed with social media for a lot of reasons. Number one is because social media is a 24-7 thing if you want to go far in it. Because it's not just about, you know, I, I post something. It's about the pre-planning, how, what's your image, what's your branding, what are you going to post, when are you going to post, because let's sooner, at some point in your journey, you're going to be all about those vanity metrics. And then you're going to attach your vanity to it, and you'll be thinking about, okay, stats, when am I supposed to post them, when can I do that? Now maybe I can get some sponsorships. And you do all this stuff and you post, but you also can't forget that this is social media. You have to do community building. And social media is on 24-7. So you are also on 24-7. Plus, as a creative, you're thinking 24-7. You're like, what videos am I going to make? Can I make this for a video? Oh, I, I'm, gonna, I'm doing something about fingering here. Maybe I can turn that into a video. Maybe it can be a how-to video. And then the how-to video is like, how do I repurpose this for Instagram? How do I repurpose this for stories, for TikTok, for yeah. YouTube? Oh, I have a short. If it's short, what if I go in-depth? And now this can be a little teaser for the YouTube long-form video. And if I have a long-form, oh, let's do behind-the-scenes and turn this into Patreon. It's hard not to be obsessed. You, you, you're speaking my language there. Like It's like, there's so much. No, I... I, I, I really relate to this because and that's why I'm asking you this question because it's like there's there are people who kind of uh, I guess a lot a lot of them are in school and so they kind of still they do it part time but then you have people like um, Hup uh, uh, Chris, I don't know, Kristen and she does Hup Talk right and she's on she's on TikTok and Hup she got invited to Jimmy Fallon and like she's she went all in and she got super successful on TikTok uh, and she's you know, like not doesn't have didn't have management when wasn't with an agent or anything. Like she just got, she just did that. And then you have people like Nare Sol who also just started composing, experimenting, and then she expanded. And then she became really good at video editing, and she just kept exploring things. And she is so successful on YouTube, I think, because she integrates pop culture with classical music, and she does it so well and with such kind of humility that it becomes something very relatable and yet people are like wow she can play so well as well and so there's that incredible fusion it's um it's where i want to be at where like i feel like um i'm not sacrificing my artistic and playing ability but i'm exploring things in such a um my own way that it's respectable i think one of the tendencies and temptations for people especially in social media is to go into a very and this is you know each to their own but into a very kind of they kind of simplify our art and they play only the very kind of like kind of popular things or they they only do that and they kind of sacrifice the the, the beauty of what's available in not just harmony and uh, rhythm but they just sort of like play the easier stuff to, to appeal and get the audience and it's like that there's a really fine line between you can do that very tastefully and still exhibit an incredible high level of playing or you can do that kind of in a way that cheapens it and it's very hard to find that draw that balance i think everyone would draw that line very differently uh but I really admire people like Larry Sol and um, Kristen who just really find that beautiful way that they can express themselves and yet speak to an audience, build community, like you said, and not sacrifice any of their artistic integrity. Like they could probably, like Kristen could probably get a um, harp job, you know, an audition for a harp, a harp gig or Larry Sol could probably get an agency and perform worldwide and develop her own repertoire and programming that's equally respectable. So it's like, 
really cool how that's a, a possibility, but it's so uh, it takes so much time, I think, to really discover your true voice, like what it is that you can say or what it is that who who you are and how you can express that online so that people could actually see that. It's such a journey, such a process. Because you mentioned about finding your true voice through social media in a way. Mm. I think sometimes people go at it a little bit backwards and it becomes unhealthy. Now, what I'm going to say is going to also require some mindful healthiness um, to it. But I find sometimes when people want to go and have, you know, the stardom, so to speak, that Nari Soul has or all the ones that we do look up to, we think, ah, we need to get like um, we need to have certain production quality. We need to have a certain amount of followers, whatever. And we follow the the, the end goal. Mm. But and then we equate that with being, oh, you know, they, they reached this point. They're so authentically themselves. They saw their voice. And they found it. It's not because they have 31,000 followers that they found their voice. Yeah. Social media, to me anyways, and how I look at it in order to keep me semi-sane, <laughs> is a playground for your authenticity. They were authentic from the start. And then people found them. And they stayed authentic. Mm. And because of that, you know, you the the energy of authenticity travels so far and mm-hmm. so deep that no matter what you make you're going to feel like to the to the viewers that you are relatable because you are you you're not trying to be the next tiktok um viral video hmm. so i tend to use social media in the sense of like i'm trying to this is who i am this is who i'm trying to discover and that i'm trying to grow into i like education to an extent and so when I have those inspirations of wanting to do education because in that moment, that is authentically part of who I am, I'm going to put that out. Oh, today I feel like, you know, I need to work and brush up on some of my, my piano skills because I want to have a certain level. That is still authentically me. And if you stay true to that and you use social media as your way of finding your authenticity of who you are, your playground in that, and don't waver, the people will come and find you hands down and look we're creatives we're already going to be unique that we're not going to be like someone else sooner or later people will find you and you will find your tribe and grow from there i like that a lot i think it's really tricky um sometimes i mean everybody has a different journey and process with this but for myself personally i think a lot of the time with social media you're like just finding good ideas out there and kind of copying it but using like putting in your own twist to it, at least initially. I mean, obviously, when you're starting off like Instagram back in the days, like just posting pictures. So you're like, oh, that's a pretty photo. Let me see if I can do something similar. All right. And you're like, oh, sunset. Obviously, everyone thinks the sunset's beautiful. So I'll take a picture of a sunset. And then it morphs into like, oh, there's these certain videos, there's IGTV, there's stories, and people start using stories as a way to communicate and to speak face to face with their audience and build community. So you're like, oh, I'll try that. Um, perhaps you want to share what your other activities you're doing that you don't want to post on your no- normal feed and that becomes, you know, something else you do. I think for me, it was a lot of copying and trying that and then adding my own twist to it. And then it be- morphed slowly into, oh, I really like doing this thing. And this really, like, oh, this is really fun. But also I could develop something from this. And it was also a process of, discovering and this is sort of advice i'd give to anybody who's getting into social media is just post things where you're at don't feel like you need to have 
crazy production, crazy editing skills uh, in order to get started. Because as you're producing consistently or somewhat consistently every time you do it you're going to fine tune something there's always going to be something that you do a little bit more efficiently like even if you keep everything the same you might do something more efficiently the next time so editing could be smoother so you reduce the time that it takes you to edit you know a video or you're like oh i don't really like this microphone it gives that but there's a buzzing sound or it's too close i'll put it further away or get a new microphone and just the act of doing that already kind of gives you an improvement and you keep doing that and then like the next week or two weeks later oh maybe i have a little bit of spare cash to invest in some ring lights or something else to help the lighting or i could get like some um really nice like not christmas lights but you know those kind of lights that go around you know, look around the piano the fairy, and see, lights. Like, fairy lights exactly and it's like oh that that will make it look really pretty and then add a little different vibe to it or you could be like oh actually i have i'm more than happy to you know, get a, a subscription to Canva or something in order to facilitate s- something else I want to improve. And I think through that process, you actually develop a lot as you go. And it's really cool to see that transformation. And the important thing is that people want to see that transformation. People out there want to see that process. And then it becomes something that not only are you proud of because you're, you have a portfolio of things you're consistently producing, but people can go through your profile and say, wow, this guy can do this, do that. That's really cool. Uh, he see he has all these different interests. I actually want to follow him and see what else he produces that might be relevant to me or just could be cool for me to see. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And is that not the process of having an authentic playground? Yeah. You finding yourself, That that's all about it. And I love the fact that you said that you know, produce where you're at. Mm. Because if you don't, you're going to discourage yourself and you're not going to be able to find your true authentic voice or whatever and make your profile your own personal community and your own personal place for you to play and that it's a safe space. And I think when you look at it that way, you're making, you know, little increments of steps of what can you improve? What can I do differently? Oh, I seem to really be attracted to this. I want to do more of that. How can you not become obsessed? Well, you know? yeah, no, I, as, especially I, as a creative, that's the that's the creative obsessive process yeah. all the time. Oh, it's so hard being a creative, and I think a lot of people underestimate what it means to be creative and to have that creative mind because it it's almost like there's a. I think I, I don't know if you feel this too, but I often feel option paralysis, and it's like as a creative, you can do so many things, which is so great because, like you said, there's a playground for you to play on. And then there's like the, on the other end, it's like people who follow you probably want to follow you for just the one or two things that you do. And, but yet you can do so much. Um, and how do you find time? I think it's actually, it's, it's simpler to just tell somebody to say, okay, you're creative, great. Can you just focus on playing piano and performing these concerts and doing this and be done with it? Okay. But once you start saying, okay, can you teach? Can you do some collaborative piano? Um, can you do some composition? Can you show us some improv that you do? And if all these things are like, yeah, I could do that. Oh, yeah, I could do that. And then could you also create, you know, uh, instructional videos? Could you also do all these other things? Then you start to become paralyzed because there's so much you can do. And as a result, you're like, okay, I'm going to have to sacrifice something. And people like Mr. Beast or big influencers out there, sometimes they sacrifice relationships. Sometimes they sacrifice uh social life sometimes they sacrifice their health and so 
as a creative, it's actually really tricky to decide what to do. And I think that's why school becomes such a safe haven for a lot of artists. Uh, and I'm speaking just in the classical realm and more particularly pianists. Because uh, I don't think string players or woodwind players kind of like want to stay and do their doctorate like as a given, you know, like, but pianists always feel like they have to just stay and finish their doctorate and then maybe do a postgrad something before they like, you know, come out of the nest into the real world. And I think it's because there's so many things that you could do as a pianist. Also, instrumentalists, you guys have a lot of things to do too. You do. <laughs> just put that out there. Like orchestral yeah, auditions not, and everything. I'm not saying you've got less stuff to yeah, do. But I'm just you speaking also as a pianist. Yes. As a speaking as a pianist. And I think school gives you this idea that you can stick to doing assignments, get your thesis done, you practice, go to lessons, and people tell you what to play for chamber music generally. And if you're doing like, a thesis on Beethoven, you're going to be playing Beethoven. So it's, it's kind of like your, your, your options are limited and it's safer that way. I don't know. There's like, also nothing wrong with that. If that's what you vibe with, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. Some people just want to go there out there. I want to go deeply into Beethoven. This is my life. This is what I personally obsess over. Yeah. You do you. I think for people like us, when we're in this social media world and we do have interests outside of let's just say beethoven for example there's nothing wrong with having multiple interests and having multiple talents and wanting to create more yes you get the like option paralysis which i also heavily suffer from so i have a question for you how do you get yourself if you have a method out of that option paralysis how do you restrict your limits if you feel you need to because within the restriction of limits you will also find more creativity it's definitely a process. So I went on one extreme where, okay, I'm going to maximize my day. I'm going to do, you know, all these things and like I'll practice, I'll get about six in the morning. I'll start like mental practicing because I don't want to wake up my family. So I'll do, I'll do that. I'll go for a walk so I can get more ideas in my head. Then I'll write. Then I'll spend some time like meditating, doing yoga exercise. Then I'll get like 9 a.m. is practice, right? And then I'm going to rest a little bit, but then I'm going to go right into like, you know, all these different things. I'll record a podcast here. Then I do this and I make content. I'll edit. Then after dinner, I'm back to practicing and I'm trying to maximize the day. And it sounds really good in theory because you're like, if I can be consistent with this, I can produce a lot and I feel like I'm being productive. The reality is, at least for me, that it's really hard to do that. And a lot of the time, it's impossible because you... And the, and the, and the problem with that, setting yourself that goal, is that when you feel burnt out the next day or whenever, like usually it's the next day, you do that for one day, the next day you're like, I can't move. I'm like, I'm just, I can't, I can't. And then you start scrolling, you start procrastinating, and then it builds up... To, the, the guilt of not following through with a plan that you really wanted to follow through with because you believed that that was the, the ultimate like way in which you could be productive and have purpose as a human being. That guilt starts to build up. And so you're like going to distract yourself and escape from that in order to distract yourself from the guilt, except the guilt's not running away. It's still there. So eventually you have to face it. It becomes really mentally exhausting and physically exhausting. And very overwhelming. And very overwhelming because you felt you've betrayed yourself. You felt like you've sabotaged yourself. And, you know, and I think ultimately that's not being honest and truthful to who you are as a human being. And so I've been exploring this a lot. I read this book called uh, Rest. I don't have it here. 
but yeah, it's, it explores what really high functioning peak performance scientists, artists, uh, politicians, and their process. And they've kind of come up with different studies and their own anecdotes that you can probably be productive about four hours a day, like really productive. The rest of it's like, you know, doing errands, like emailing, writing letters. And even then it's like like light stuff that you look at. But there's like a a window of four to five hours that you are like peak. You can squish it all in. Yeah, no, your you optimal can be, time. It's different exactly, for everybody. Where you can focus. Yeah. And so you have to think, ask yourself the question, what should I be doing in those three to four hours? And sometimes it's like, you know, recording a podcast like we're doing right now. And those are like important hours that you did dedicate to certain things so you can be at your best. Sometimes it's editing. Sometimes it's coming up with ideas. Sometimes it's practicing. Sometimes it's teaching. Sometimes it's not teaching and... Um, you know, come up with instructional videos or editing or things that, you know, you do a lot of. And so you have to dedicate that time knowing that you need those three, four hours. You know that because you want to be consistent, three to four hours, four to five is, that's it. That's literally it. And the rest of the time, you should rest. And the thing is, with rest, you're not actually totally resting either because your brain is constantly thinking. Your, 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 your mind is still at work. So you take a nap, you think you're resting, you're maybe physically resting but your mind is still kind of running through what you did before kind of consolidating different things putting pieces of puzzle together as you're sleeping and if you're doing exercise or you're doing some other activity that like let's say you're really into uh pottery as you're doing pottery you might your brain might also be drifting back into like the piece that you were just learning on the piano and like oh that's really cool and i'm you know and I think of cooking for me as that sort of process. Like I'm, I'm cooking or doing dishes. I'm my mind's wandering and like I'm doing other things. Like I know what I need to do, but my mind's my mind's going elsewhere. And so you need to allow yourself that freedom because then some of the great ideas flow. I don't have the answer to your question. I think it's about um, knowing that you have limitations, drawing those boundaries really well for yourself, knowing that you want to be consistent that six days of consistent work is going always to be better than like two days of like eight hours like high performance and then three days of like low energy it's always better to have those six days of like really good stuff happening and then with options i find writing is really important for me because writing allows you to physically put down on paper and to almost psychologically release that built up energy within yourself and say this is the idea these are my options this is the timeline this is the way in which i can get it done it allows you to be a little bit more objective with what you want if you just let that idea fest in your mind there's always going to be a subjective charge to it because you're like oh i feel good about this and the next day i don't feel as good about this but you don't actually become objective with it by you know, doing pros and cons of that idea or writing it down and giving yourself a timeline and seeing where that all fits in. So I think writing is really important. And then going for a walk or doing something that allows you to think about those options and then again, writing or just thinking about them, but not in a sense of um, being really obsessed with it, but allowing a walk to kind of, come and go because as you're walking you're like oh this tree looks nice or this thing looks nice and okay that back to the problem you know and then oh but this you know and i'll go turn, should i turn left or turn right here oh i guess i'll turn right and then you can go back to the problem and I, and, and i think it helps you to process it a lot better instead of allowing it to 
obs- for you you to kind of mentally obsess over it, and then you get stressed out over it, and then you just end up doing nothing. I call that overchewing. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you just need to spit it out. Yeah. And just you know let it go for a little bit. Because the brain, like you said, can't be on 100% RAM all the time. Like, we're humans. Mm -hmm. But our brain is very good at just, like, chilling out and letting the subconscious work. A lot of the creativity stuff is in that subconscious place and, you know, let it be there. Mm. I sometimes think or I plan my ideas of, like, rest. Rest to me is still work. But I'm making sure that my rest is something that rejuvenates me for the actual like four to five hours of like work, work, work that I actually need to do. And I think that's really important that if you're going to have or be obsessed with something in the big picture form, that balance, that work-life balance and having the life portion be something that rejuvenates you for your work and vice versa. And having that positive loop is one of the big things that will keep you from burning out. Yeah, absolutely. And that I don't think is... Like if I were to tell my conservatory self something, that would be something that I would tell myself. It's like you think about how you use your day and how the conservatory or music school you attend already dictates what you have to do. So you have probably four to four four hours of class minimum a day, and then you have to fit practice in, and then you're like, oh, I should have a social life. So you might go drinking with your friends, and then you expect the next day to be as productive or as good as the next, and then you're like, oh, I have a lesson coming up, so I better obsessively practicing this, and I, I'm like, how do you not expect yourself to burn out, and how do you not expect yourself to get injured or feel overwhelmed or feel depressed and just feel less than adequate? Because not only are you going to feel exhausted and fatigued but then you're going to compare yourself to all the other people out there in your in your in your class or around you and say well they're practicing so hard how the heck are they doing it so i should be doing it so there's added guilt because you're comparing yourself to others and so if i were to say something to my conservative self it's that you need to rest you need to draw your boundaries well you need to find time to actually not do anything and other and it's so counterintuitive because at school, everyone just looks like they're doing six to seven hours a day. But are they actually doing really good six to seven hours? And what are their goals? What are they actually aiming towards? And there's just so much you need to get done that you need to make sure you prioritize the time to rest. And if you don't rest well, you can't keep up. And if you can't keep up, then you feel less than adequate. And if you live in a city that is sort of like, you know, dark from 4 p.m. till like (laughs) 6 a.m. in the morning, then you're going to be depressed. You're going to feel awful about yourself. And when you feel awful about yourself, you're going to want to feel better. And a lot of the time that turns into like putting down others. Or you're going to put down yourself so much that you withdraw and retreat. And I think ultimately we need to know and learn better ways to handle this. Otherwise, you go out into the real world after you graduate and you find that these problems still haven't been fixed. It's just that perhaps now you have a job or perhaps now you're just teaching full time and you haven't really lived up to the potential that you want to live up to or really found time to explore that. And that's why I think being back in Sydney for about 
almost two years now has allowed me to a bit more perspective and think about how I want to plan my days, my life. And a lot of that is just getting to know yourself. I think knowledge of self, knowing your limits, knowing whether you're an introvert or extrovert, knowing when you are introverted and when you need that energy to recharge and when you're feeling extroverted and you can actually go and uh, have a great rehearsal with somebody and great collaborations and have a great conversation and connect. And when you, okay, guys, I need to go home. I need to go to bed. I'm sorry. Or like, oh, I'm not going out to dinner with you guys. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do my thing. And I think those kind of boundaries are really important if you want to be happy and if you want to have, um, to make the best use of your time in music school when you still don't have the burden and responsibility of having to develop your own career just yet. Yeah. I love the advice that you're giving to your, your past self. And I think a lot of younger ones who are currently in university will relate to about like, oh, the comparison that forms into guilt and shame that comes in afterwards because, you know, this is the classical music world and we have generational trauma of teaching that comes from guilt and shame and all that other stuff, which might be another podcast uh, thing yeah. for another time. Um, but I think as a creative when you're in school and you're trying to figure out who you are as an artist, which is very similar to the social media stuff that we're talking about, because it's really just an extension of our creativity and our artistry. Yeah, in a it way. is. Number one thing, and this is something that I, I live by and I'm revisiting, honesty. Honesty, honesty, honesty. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself about the limits as, as a human being. Um, how honest with like how good is my playing right now and what can I actually do with it where am I in terms of all the ideas that I want and can I like literally actually do eight hours a day for like from seven days a week like is that truly truly something that you can honestly do because if you're not honest with yourself that's where the burnout comes from that's where the guilt and shame comes from the comparisons mm. the the paralysis all that stuff and part of the things that keep me in my like honesty bubble and like facing the discomfort with that is reminding me of two three things one because i'm like a I, i'm kind of i'm working with this whole not living in like a black and white world but have a grayscale. i'm very much like all or nothing so if i if i'm practicing i'm 100 percent in practice like all my focus is there and then i go and do 100 percent focus elsewhere but i have to remind myself 85 percent michelle 85 percent is all you need because I know my 100% is probably actually way overshot 100%. Mm. I'm doing more than I need to. So when I'm toning it back down and I'm still not so obsessively chewing and gripping at something at my 85, I'm going to be able to practice better because I'm not as tight or whatever. Mentally, I'm a little bit more free mm. and it keeps me from burning out. Honesty is incredibly important uh, in not trying to compare yourself with others. Here's the thing. I think, at least I can speak from my personal experience, that in conservatory or in any sort of high performance arena, you're always going to compare yourself with others. You see someone getting an opportunity that you don't get, and you're like, oh, I must be worse than them. Or they win a competition, and you're like, oh, I must not be as good as them, that I didn't win. And it's that we can talk about competitions as well, but it's like there's so many factors that you're completely unaware of between that the, what they have and what you don't have and what's really really going to stabilize you is honesty about where you're at it's honesty with your teacher about where you're at in your playing and saying look i think i need an honest evaluation of where i'm at where i need to improve upon and where you think 
I genuinely need help with or what I'm genuinely good at. Like, can you tell me what I'm good at? And a lot of that is like, you know, if you have a good teacher, they'll tell you. But a lot of that is like listening to yourself and re- listening to your own recordings and really not picking, not taking yourself um, too seriously and knowing that, no, I am a process at work. Like I am a work in progress, right? And I need to know where I'm at so that I know where to keep going forward. And if you're comfortable and knowledgeable about where you are, for example, I can say that perhaps um, I need to work on X and Y technique. Like I'm not good at octaves or I'm not really good at this. Like I'm learning rotation and like it's not really working. It's not really that comfortable. So therefore it affects a lot of my passages. I get tense. If you can know, if you know this stuff and you know this stuff about yourself, you're less likely to compare yourself with others because you're just going to compare yourself to yourself. And ultimately that is going to make you so much happier because when you do progress, you can say, oh, last year, Chris, or last year, Michelle, was not as good as this year. And I'm so glad I took all these steps to improve these parts. And I still know that these parts are not fully there yet, but I'm really working on it. And as a result, you feel more accomplished. And when people get opportunities, you're like, fair enough. They deserve it, right? They've got A, Y, and Z technique really well. Or they've got these pieces, which sound amazing, right? I'm still working on these pieces, but I know that I have all these strengths somewhere else. And you can celebrate their wins, and then you can say, "It's fine. I'm not. I, I don't. I don't need this right now. I don't deserve it because I, I generally not there yet." And sometimes you get lucky, and you go in a competition, or you win some audition, or something just really works out, or you go in a studio class and you play amazingly, and you're like, "Nice, that's cool," and you feel good about it. And then you don't say, oh, no, no, I'm not that good. No, like, oh, like, I'm just, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. And you're just honest. Yeah, thank you. I, I thought I improved here, here and here. And I feel like this piece is getting more, more, much more comfortable. I'm happy with where it's at. Let me maybe take it to a competition somewhere and let's go with it. But I still have all these other things I haven't worked on. These, all these other things are still there and I acknowledge them. I can see them. And the next pieces I'm going to work on, I'm going to target these issues that I may have. And being honest with yourself, allows you not to compare yourself with others. It allows you a much more healthier mindset in approaching your practice. And ultimately, whether you get a win or not doesn't affect you as much because, and this is the same with social media, you know, because ultimately, you know, it's a process. You know that you're just improving gradually in the process of becoming better and better every time. And then you kind of feel like, look, if they get an opportunity, good on them. I'm still going to work as hard. I'm still competitive but I'm competitive in the sense that I want to just keep improving and be better than anybody else on my own terms. Not because I've put anyone else down, not because I've, you know, or because, you know, they got lucky or like that jury member likes them, you know, or they've studied with that jury member before. So of course they're going to get a win. You're not going to become bitter and resentful. And I think that's a really big um, lesson I wish I'd learned a lot earlier because I think a lot of the times there are like, dark days in cons- the, the dark days of conservatory uh, physically and metaphorically because they were very dark uh, in terms of the you know the, the sunlight not so being practice around practice rooms don't have windows okay yeah exactly they're very dark <laughs> and then you just this quite... blue light and you're just like oh, what am i doing here and it's real mm-hmm. uh so that's 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 been something that i wish i would be i wish i could impart to myself earlier but i would love to impart to anybody else living in those dark conservatory days 
<laughs> you, you had successfully touched upon the other two that I also want to talk about. And I want to like also add to it. Mm. When you're being honest with yourself, part of it is just purely objectivity. Take away all the emotions of whether you're happy about something or you feel guilty about something. But to really face yourself objectively without those emotions. What do I need to get done? What did I do good? What do I need to move forward? And then after that make sure you engage in some form of positive self-talk or a positive progression. Yeah. Don't be like, oh, I'm not good at my octaves. And then you go into, oh, but so and so is better and I've been working at it for like hours a day. It's not coming. You're putting yourself down. But then rather something positive can be, who can I seek for help yeah. to get better? Who can I, what can I do tomorrow that might help me? What can I experiment with? And engaging that curiosity so it keeps you in your lane because you're not going to be in someone else's lane. You're not going to take their progress or at the speed at which they're traveling, whether it's fast or slow, it doesn't matter. Your progress is your progress. Your only competition is with yourself. And the other thing that I really loved that you touched upon was the idea of like the long game. Mm. If you're a creative mm. and unfortunately, like as a creative, you can't, once you discover you're a creative, you can't not be a creative ever. It is your life. Yeah. And it's the long game. So you need to be able to balance between like the fast productivity and the slow productivity. Hmm. The fast productivity being like, what can I get done in this day? How can I make sure that there's less friction? There's more efficiency. What can I do to make some things better? But also remember the slow productivity in the sense like in two years time, I want to have, I don't know, um, 20 videos out. And of those 20, this is going to happen. What's my long game? So then you can, you don't feel like you have to make those 20 videos in the next month because as creatives, you know, you just get bogged down with all your ideas and you need to get them out. But you can remind yourself, oh, I have two years to get those 20 videos out. Maybe I'll just focus on one this month and then add a little bit of fast productivity. How can I make it a little easier? How can I get a ring light or things like that? And it's that balance that I find has also been really helpful in terms of work-life balance and mental health balance. Yeah. I really recommend uh, this, like, so G Gary V or Gary Vaynerchuk has been huge in sort of helping me with these ideas. He's like, you know, incredible. He's, a lot of things he says is based upon like, you know, uh, incredible patience for anything, whether it's investments or any project, incredible patience, uh, empathy towards others, which is, you know, really helpful, especially when you, you know, have a business and you're relating to with others and feeling there's a competitiveness to it. And one thing that, yeah, trust the process is another big one of his. Uh, yeah. And also just, I think it's important to realize that, yeah, we're really young. Like everyone listening to this, listening to this is young. Like, and, and this we're going to probably live for like such a long time because of you know advances in medicine and everything but what what's important isn't like sort of you know how long you live but it's the fact that we have a long path ahead of us like i look back upon the things that i was doing last year and i've advanced so much in terms of the kind of tech and everything I've, i'm using the editing and everything and it's realizing that we can accomplish a lot and we are going to accomplish a lot but if you're not patient with the process then you're going to feel like you want the whole world now. And if you want the whole world now, it's not going to happen because you're forcing it. You don't deserve it. You don't have the capability. Even if it's someone to give you the whole world right now, you wouldn't know what to do with it. And so it's being really patient and realizing that it's such a beautiful process of just being consistent, showing up, doing the work, and gradually improving so that by the time you get to, I don't know, 
500,000 followers or whatever your metric is to define that success, not only are you ready for it, but you feel like that doesn't matter to you because there's something else beautiful at work. And that next year, you're going to improve in all these other ways. And the year after, you're going to do all these other things. And it's just definitely the same for, as for a musician. Because if you think like you're got, if you think that you have to be a Beethoven, Ravel, Chopin, uh, Rachmaninoff, and Prokofiev specialist, you know, next week, and you're going to play all these pieces at the highest level, and you're going to be better than, you know, Trivenoff and Yuja, and, you know, you'll, you'll play with all the orchestras in the world. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying that might not be the thing that's right for you. Yeah, and, and, and it might not happen next year. And if you define success in those terms, you're going to get really hard on yourself and you're going to feel really bad when it doesn't happen. And so I think the important thing is to realize it's a long game and that it's a beautiful long game. So everything that happens daily is part of the process and it's a really wonderful gift. And so as a result... If, for example, a composer comes up to you saying, I love your work, would you like to play my pieces? You're not going to be like, no, sorry, I'm only a Beethoven specialist. I'm going to be a Ravel specialist, Prokofiev specialist, I'm not going to play that stuff. You don't know, of course, I'd love to play your work. And then your career may blossom through just playing a bunch of contemporary composers' works and, you know, showcasing them. You might even find out you love contemporary stuff. Exactly. And champion that. Yeah. And you, you and then you can still play Ravel, still play Beethoven, still play Rachmaninoff, and you don't have to be a specialist. I think we try too hard to mimic people who are our mentors and our teachers and then we feel like, oh, I want to be like Rubenstein or, you know. I, I don't think you set another none of them set out to be a specialist in anything. I think they just set out to be the best that they could be every day and to hone that process. And it just so happened, you know, Brendel, okay, you know, I ended up playing all of Beethoven's works and recording all of it. Okay, so it happened. And so now they call me a Beethoven specialist. All right, I guess I'll take it. But I'm not just playing Beethoven. I play all these other stuff too. And I have a lot to say as I write and I teach and I spread my knowledge. And I think throughout lifetime, people will give you the labels. Like people will give you the recognition that you either deserve or you don't deserve. But if you chase after these labels, it, it's so it's so hard, and it makes your life more miserable. I think I think it's more important that you sp- pursue the process and living out that process and being open minded to what is available to you. I think the most successful people want certain things, want to succeed, but they are also open to the possibility of life throwing them different things and then embracing them. And I think that's what makes people happy to continue on this process and not want to retire because it's such an open-ended thing they never feel like they've, they've really arrived but they don't want to arrive the journey is the best part yeah i, I absolutely totally agree with that and the especially the idea about chasing labels because at the end of the day if you're going to chase labels you're chasing basically something that someone else gives to you that makes it easy for them to define who you are because they put you in a box but there is no human out there that can be defined and put into one box beyond being like, oh, I play Beethoven, I play Ravel, I play WCA, I play all those stuff. You are also a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a pianist, yeah. a snowboarder, a photographer. Like at the end of the day, love your process and be authentic in that process. Who cares 
whatever people label you if they label you something great if you don't like it great if you like it great doesn't matter just stay on your path and one other thing that someone has told me because i'm a quite a like impatient person so mm. you're talking about patience is a good reminder for myself too um is i always felt like i never had enough time or i wanted things to happen instantly i want my 20 videos right now because i have it all planned in my head and i just want it instantly and he had said to me well if it happened instantly everything everything in your life that you wanted it all happened instantaneously how are you going to enjoy it yep because life's done born and dead just like that yep. and we're given that gift of life because we get to enjoy the process so don't go messing with the process yeah. that is inherent in nature just enjoy it yeah it's that's really funny how we we do that i think yeah there's a tendency to want the achievements and to feel like that's what defines you but what's more brutal is actually what defines you is how you do the process how you live the process yeah. uh, and i think that's why you got to go back to the fundamental principles of who you are knowing who you are and then realizing you need to continue to be you know kind to others uh throughout the whole path being kind to others is huge like if, the, if you're nice, like it, it, and it's the same for like you know the, the reason you know emmanuel wax gets to work with so because he's such a nice guy you know and you are like it's that problem gets all these contracts and play, like he plays him incredibly but it's also a really nice guy and all these really great nice people end up getting a lot of really great concerts and over time it builds up and realizing that that's super important and so if you're putting others down if you're saying other like and I've been there so I'm saying this from experience like I was really insecure at some point in my life and you know putting down others is really an easy way to make yourself feel better but ultimately the problem with that is you could be talking crap about others one second and then the next moment someone else could be talking crap about you and when people talk crap about you you're like oh how could they you know like oh, and then you feel so insecure and it's just it's just multiplies so i think it's important to not um to find ways to not feel so insecure and part of that is obviously honesty and not comparing yourself to others and realizing that you're a part of the process uh, and also the fundamental other fundamental uh, principle is the fact that i think our job especially in a sort of quote-unquote dying industry which i don't think it's dying but people call it dying but so let's take it for what they call it is that we more than ever need to be incredibly good to others and try to build our industry. That throughout technological advancements, through social media, through everything that we do, we try to raise awareness of the beauty of the art that we do. If we are so focused on certain achievements and um, putting down others or whatever it is that we do that is so focused on, our, so insular, then we forget the bigger, bigger important thing which is to grow our industry. We want more people coming to concerts. We want people to really appreciate music. So the reason I love what Tuset Violin does is because even my non-musician friends are like, oh, I watched this video with Tuset Violin. It's so cool. And, you know, and, and it's that, that grows and they find out more about Beethoven or Sibelius or Tchaikovsky. And then when they hear a concert of Tchaikovsky and Sibelius, they're like, oh, I remember that fact, you know, that melody. I remember, you know, Brett and uh, Eddie talking about that. That's really cool. I can hear that now. And so our job as musicians, especially in an industry, that is of such a long age and so much tradition is to make sure that it continues to prosper 
Like we want more people in audiences and that doesn't necessarily mean that they're in an audience in a concert hall. They could be watching online or they could be watching via Twitch and they could tip us as they're watching. Like to, we want the industry to prosper. And so that means that it matters that, you know, we're getting our own income and that we have our own standing and recognition, but it also matters that other people are getting the recognition that they deserve. And so that's another fundamental principle I discovered earlier on that the more we get become insular instead of put other organizations down or other individuals down, we're not helping our industry. The, what, the thing that we need to do and the reason I don't want to just teach at home the, all the time is because I want to help our industry grow. I want it to reach more audiences and that our audience is getting older for a reason because less and less people are appreciating uh, what we do. And the way our society is designed is that they're not going to want to sit for 25 minutes listening to like a like a, a Chopin sonata or a big long Schumann um, work or any sort of big sonata. They're going to want something quick, five minutes and move on. That's the kind of tendency. So how do we engage people to really appreciate a 25 minute, 30 minute, 40 minute work? We're going to have to slowly uh, not just educate, but engage them and allow them and make it accessible, make it beautiful and allow them to see and hear and feel what it means to live this kind of music. Because I think ultimately this music reaches deep down in our human condition. It says, hey, this is not just happy music or this is not just sad music. This is deep music. This is music that dives into the depths of our subconscious and stirs up emotions that we didn't really know existed. And it talks about narrative of suffering, of grief, of deep mourning, of deep struggle. And unless you recognize that, the music isn't really going to touch you because you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't really get it. But if you do, that's why people can listen to Wagner operas become spellbound for hours. I still can't do that. But people become <laughs> spellbound by Wagner because they realize it dives deeper in them. And if they get into a meditative state listening to it because it just touches upon something, a part of their subconscious or their conscious mind that nothing else does. It's beautiful. It's beyond beautiful. It touches something deep in their recesses of emotion that they don't really know how to express. And I think as musicians who have the ability to play some of this music, like like Chopin's Third Sonata is an incredible example of just the variety of emotions and storytelling and colors that you go through. We have the ability to play this music and to share it with others. So our duty is not to try to get more recognition. I think our duty is to try to make this music accessible, make this music understandable, and make this music deeply felt and portray it as well as we can for others so that they can feel it as well and that they have an experience where they feel that they're understood that someone relates to them in their deep trouble and like, like the last movement of that sonata is a great example of something where mm -hmm. there's like victory, devastation, triumph and struggle, immense struggle. And our whole life, our whole existence is one of such struggle that we need music and art to help us to express it and help us to feel that we're not alone. And I think I'm touching on something quite deep, but I think if we can achieve these no, things, continue. I love this stuff. If we can like <laughs> achieve this these things in our art and show that, then people will actually want to listen to this music more, because as good as a lot of the music that's coming out is, this is still part of our human history, and that the sufferings and the pain and the um, 
all the emotions from heartbreak to loss, tragedy, and especially now we have this, you know, conflicts in Ukraine and Russia. These are relatable emotions that composers in our past have felt and somehow have found the harmonic and melodic medium to express. And so it's always relevant. It's always something that we deeply feel. And I think it's our duty in our industry to try to make this as accessible to others as possible so that people who listen can feel something and they come home knowing that they are understood and they, someone also feels the same and they feel that it's, they're not alone. You think about why people want to watch movies and the most the most beautiful movies are the ones that for some reason touch upon so many different things that we all feel deep inside but we have never really kind of explored but it's nice and really beautiful knowing that someone else has gone through it and we we're attracted to stories we're attracted to narrative and we're attracted to all these things because it's part of who we are and i think our art in particular has the ability to tap into that and the more that we can help others tap into that the more we i think we can help others feel more human and i think that's why we do what we do i think that is hopefully for most musicians that that is what we do what we do i i think that's why shakespeare has such a longevity i think that's why like if we talk about different arts like the stories of uh, uh, Dostoevsky. These stories and art are all timeless because all these emotions that we have as humans are timeless. I mean, we're going to have cycles of war, of happiness, of conquer, and no matter who you are and what era, you're going to find some relation in that music. And I'm wondering that as we're thinking about making our music more accessible to others, and I know that you have big plans for that. Is social media part of that plan for you? I, I'm hoping. So. I'm hoping so. So I'm exploring this idea of uh, narration. I, I want to be able to find something really tasteful to do, where I can play or demonstrate a piece by Beethoven, but tell a story with it. And so it's, it's not like a masterclass per se, but it's a way to understand what's happening. And I want to open it up. So the reason I think. Um, I've been experimenting with this. I think the reason I fell in love with music is because my um, amazing teacher, John Perry, sat down and was playing music, like showing me different excerpts of pieces by Brahms or Beethoven. And as he's playing, he's telling a story. So he would sit down and demonstrate, oh, this was happening here. And then listen to this, you know, and you don't want to, you know, play this too fast. You want to keep it to rhythm because this part is where you want to slow down. And this is the color you want to highlight here. And as he's playing, you're hearing it and the story is going. And then you just fall in love with the piece because you understand, you understand it now. And I I remember like sort of the, the masterclasses of like someone like Leon Fleischer and he's guiding you through it. It's like, oh, oh, not yet now play you know and the, the, the rests have to be just a little bit longer than you think you know not too long but just long enough so that you feel that there's some some suspension and he describes music as physics because it's this feeling that you want with time and time is very closely related to physics and so you want this sort of as you're listening to music a feeling that there's suspension and then there's a ground and you're up again and there's a ground and that's pulse 
ultimately, which is why pulse and rhythm is different. Because you can be very rhythmical, but you can have no pulse. But you could be, but if you have pulse, then you feel like you're breathing together. Then you, this is sort of this cycle of being on a journey with one another. And I think, I think the greatest players are able to take you on such a wild ride of their music and the music kind of ends before you realize it because they have such an incredible sense of pulse that they're taking on this journey and, and the pulse isn't always the same throughout the whole piece it's just like con- there's like variance and sometimes it's a bit slower but then he guides you back into it going forward again and it's like a little time to take before going in and i want to use social media as a way to portray that i think that can be such a powerful way for people to understand it and it can be very meaningful because how else are you going to know how to understand the music we play if you if you force not force but if you <laughs> okay let's just use that if you force someone to listen to a um a, a symphony that they've never heard before never uh and it could be a Let's say for the sake of this example that it is a Beethoven symphony. Let's use the third symphony. And it's an incredible symphony. And it's already very accessible from the get-go, right? You're starting with this loud chords and it just goes. You're you're on the horse carriage and you're going forward. If you use that example and you open up the world to how everything everything works, but not in a very technical way, but more of a storytelling way, then every time they listen to it, there's more that they can feel because you already kind of outlined the structure of what they're supposed to understand. And then you show them the underlying sort of message behind it or the, the reason why, you know, the, the recapitulation is so good, you know, because you don't know when it's coming back and suddenly it does come back, you know, and or, or, or for example, in the Seventh Symphony, was incredible how he keeps teasing, he keeps teasing the entry of the of the main theme after the introduction. You don't know when it's going to start you know and he uses it da, 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 that that kind of rhythm but it's kind of sparse at first and then it suddenly comes and then everything kind of transitions out if you can tell a story with that if you can demonstrate how beethoven is like kind of like kind of using rhythm to tease you or kind of like feel like you feel unsettled and finally you land it's magical it's magical it will give you it'll give you goosebumps you know, it'll give you goosebumps. And I think that's the thing that's kind of quite missing in our kind of music education um, on a broader on a broader level. I'm not, I'm not targeting teachers, but it's like on a broader level, it's like we need to show um, our students and people listening that there's a bigger narrative at hand. And the reason why these moments are so special throughout the piece is because of all the surrounding um, structures that are slowly leading to these moments, which are so beautiful. And then everything becomes like tension and release there's a there's a narrative and then a lack of lack of narrative or there is a just and the the use of silence for example is so powerful because there was so much said before and suddenly there's nothing and so i don't know and i've been experimenting that with my with my concerts i've been trying to say okay so this is the structure of the piece. I'm going to demonstrate each little little bit. I'm going to show you what when you hear this melody or when you hear this happening, this is what's actually what's actually happening. Like with the Chopin Baccarat, I tell a story behind it. I give like it's it's a kind of a silly-ish story, but it's not silly in the sense that it's still kind of very operatic. Like it's a very operatic love story kind of thing. But I tell a story. Look, I'm like you can decide your story, but this is my way of like this is a story. And I hope, hopefully, you can add your own variance to it, but you can actually kind of feel like you're along with me on the story. And you understand that when the, 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 the lilting rhythm changes, 
then there's a slightly different uh, drift in the in the current, or you're in different waters. Like in the beginning, you're in the canals, and there's there's a part where it gets a little bit more rocky. And then you're like in the more the ocean part of, of, of Venice, like where you're out in the open seas a little bit more, you know. But ultimately you, you end and you're back into the canals and it's all peaceful again. So there's all these little imagery that you can bring in with rhythm that I think ultimately would tell a story. And I want to learn and experiment with social media to, to illustrate these things. Um, it's going to be hard. But I, and I think one of the first steps is allowing people to trust you. And I think that that's huge because you want your community to trust that the video you're going to put out, they actually want to watch from beginning to end and you're going to take them on a journey and that they trust you to take them on that journey. And I think that's huge. That's, that's actually really hard because you need to use a combination of good editing, um, good storytelling, good scripting. There's so many things that's, that's a part of that. But I want, I want to do that. I think that's going to scale up the ideas I already have for my concerts into a bigger audience. And ultimately, like I said, the fundamental principles of like, we need to help our industry grow. We want to get more people into, into concert halls, um, to learning music, into festivals. And a part of that is actually just doing our jobs really well and spreading, spreading the word, spreading the message about how beautiful this thing could be. I think it's a really not only is it a tall order in a good way but i think your idea about storytelling is so important because storytelling is so innate in us as humans mm-hmm. we have stories since like the dawn of time even all the the art on like our caveman drawings and all that stuff is all storytelling and social media anything that's viral and that will grab you is a story so I think there is going to be a very big development for you as you start to find your voice in this world of storytelling, whether it's going to be through short form, long form documentaries, movies, or even doing what you're doing in performances and walking through the themes and then actually just putting it into some version of like that and you're experimenting, you're definitely going to find it. And I'm so excited for you. Well, let's see Absolutely how it goes. It's a, it's a process. Like, you know, like it's one thing to say all these things and it's another thing to actually, you know, uh, execute i think currently chris chris Chris, trust the process (laughs) back earlier don't put yourself down thank you for the process thank you for that piece of advice oh that i I just and maybe our advice should be listen to one's own advice yeah that's that's a huge part that's a huge part which is why i think writing is important because or at least i don't know about you but I, i i think part of what's beautiful about going on walks uh, of finding time to be in solitude is the ability to be able to talk to oneself and realize that a lot of the best ideas or conversations and the things that you need, you already know. You have to give yourself space to hear yourself. Yeah, yeah. Like you have to be able to find that. So which I think, I don't think it has, it has something to do with being introverted or, but it's more to do with the fact that you need to be able to face yourself. And you need to have that connection between yourself, your thoughts, your anxieties, your worries, and your ambitions and goals. And the, one of the best people to talk to about that is yourself. You know, and ideally you, you want to know, know yourself the best. You're so supposed you have to. No choice. You're supposed to. Like that's like you're, you're like that's the ideal. Like that's the ideal. You get to know yourself really well. Sometimes you need the help of others. Sometimes you need the help of 
people who look from the outside and tell you, no, 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 this is who you are because I've watched you, you know, progress and develop, and this is who you are. Don't forget that. But a lot of the time, you can discover those things just by a lot of reflection, and I think the best ideas come when you are authentic with knowing who you are. And then outside influences just inspire you, and you feel like I can join all these dots together. And I, I don't know where you feel like where you get your epiphanies, but a lot of my epiphanies for programming and ideas come actually when I'm listening to a concert, and I'm really enjoying the concert. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool how they did this and I did that. And then things just start coming through because you're still engaged in this creative. Like you never stop working. Like your mind never stop、yeah. joining the dots together. It's just about giving yourself the most fertile ground to be able to do that, and I think everyone's different. Sometimes for me, it's like you know, sitting in a cafe and just kind of people watching, or when I'm on a bus or on a train and just kind of like mindlessly watching the the landscape go by, and then suddenly like sudden things just connect, and I think we have to give ourselves the ability to do that, which goes back to my original、um, what I said about like maxing out my day. And realizing that that's not work, that's not going to work, and now it's giving myself that time to limit options. For example, one thing that I think is really useful for me is instead of having doing my errands and my admin stuff at my computer at home, I say, okay, I've got emails to do. I'm going to get my iPad and my phone and a book and go to a cafe or a park, sit down and just do that. Like limit the limit the things that I can do. So that I can just focus on getting these things done, all right. And I feel like when I can get these things done, then I'm accomplished. Whereas if you give yourself too many things that are available at your disposal, like I could, if I have my computer, I could edit. If I have my computer, I could do, I could do this, do this. I have like a whole incredible list of things I could do, and then you just never get started because you're like, I don't know where to begin. But if you kind of limit those things that are possible, then I think you're able to focus on those things well, and not get distracted, and hopefully. Accomplish a few more things for the day. Yeah, definitely. I think one important thing about limiting is that it also gives you that space so that you can focus and that you can also meet with yourself. Otherwise, you're just overwhelmed with all these different things. And I want to go back a little bit to that idea where, when sometimes you are supposed to know yourself the best, but sometimes people will tell you who you are. I I rather not not to offend you or anything, but I disagree with that a little bit. Because at the end of the day, you're with yourself all the time, and it doesn't matter how much someone says that they know you. They're at the end of the day, they are reading an interpretation of you, which is going to be construed in some way in their mind, and then spitting it back out, which you're going to interpret differently. But rather, what I find is if I'm trying to find or meet with myself through others, is I try to find the voice that picks up on the mirrors, because it's that's the thing that it says, oh. I met this person who seems to really like movies too. I must really enjoy movies as well. That's that inner voice that tells you who you are, and you can't have that inner voice or hear it until you find that space for it. In the same way, when you're people watching and you notice something that happens, or、um, someone speaks a certain way, and they're like, "Oh, that seems kind of rude." It teaches you a little bit. Oh, that person mirrored the fact that I don't like speaking that way because I think it's rude. And then you can go into like an inner spiral of like whatever it is that you want, but. Yes, limiting your options is important to give you the space to meet with yourself, so you can have those creative ideas and to objectively be honest with what you can and cannot do, 
and maybe you can and cannot do right now, but over a long period of time, you can definitely find the time and place for it and enjoy the process. Sure. Uh, it's it's no it's very interesting that uh so the the thing i want to explore is like okay so how much self-knowledge can you gain from asking those people who are closest to you like really good friends what and who you are like how 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 can you how much can you find out about that i think it's very out of curiosity i think that's a very good question to ask you know yes for example i'm not saying don't listen to yeah yeah label you as but still reflect on it don't always take it for truth that's continue. that's absolutely no that's such what you because i think there are people who are very self-aware and they understand you know what they're where they're at but a lot of people don't recognize how long they've been stuck in a certain state of thinking or a certain mode of thinking and so especially when you're developing yourself as an artist or as a person or getting to know yourself it's very useful to have other people share with you perhaps the things that they don't they, they 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 see as a kind of thing you need to work on or things that you do really well for example it's really I, i'm always curious to know uh what my things my friends you know think of what i do best or where my strengths are at where, where are things i'm weak at and it's not to take their word you know as truth because they could be wrong and they could really misunderstand like you know like they say oh you're always late it's like well yeah that's true but it's because i i have this incredible like uh, i i'm 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 stuck like i want to make sure everything's perfect i need oh i'm a bit ocd so i make sure everything is like you know closed and shut down before i can leave so i have this paralyzing thing that i do so they could tell you one aspect but they don't know the underlying issues but I think it's important to, yeah, as a, as a process, because a lot of the time you don't realize how long you've been stuck in a certain thing or how long you've been unaware of a certain thing. And you need other people who have a more of, objective, of, of, of an objective eye to tell you, hey, I care about you a lot, but <laughs> you're not like... You, Here are your blind spots. Your rhythm sucks. Or like, you know, you're like... <laughs> yes. you, you, the, you're, you're, um, and it's the same with performances. You need somebody who's like sitting in the in the concert hall to tell you, oh, balance is a bit off. You know, the sound is a little bit this and that. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's because blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. Thank you. Right. And I think it's it's obviously, it's never so black and white as like, just trust your friends and never listen to yourself. Or just listen to yourself and don't trust your friends. And I don't think you're saying that either. But it's just like, I, th- I, I, I the, the, there's a, there's a beauty in asking the people who care about you and know you very well certain things that you can work on. And I think it helps develop the relationship even further when you can be that honest with one another because it says that I trust you and I put my ego into your hands and you tell me in the most caring way and honest way you can where you think that there are some deficiencies in my character that I could work on. And ultimately, this serves to help our friendship. This serves to help our relationship. But this serves to also help me grow as a person for society and the community that we're in. Uh, this is obviously a bit sidetracked from like being an artist and musician, more of like being a person. I think it's, it's actually quite intertwined. But yeah, continue. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but it's like that's that's something that I, I think about a bit because we do need the help of others. But we should not... Humans are social creatures. Yeah, yeah. You can't get anything done without one another. Yeah, but we shouldn't, like, 
our ego and our reputation or our impression of ourselves should not hang on what others think of us. At the same time, we do need to know what others think of us, especially the ones we care about, because that will inform us on where we can improve and continue to grow. And I think it does, yeah, it's, it's always a balancing act. Everything is a bit of a balance and you don't want to rely solely on what your friends think, but you also need to have the awareness that you are sometimes blind to some of the things that you may be deficient or you don't want to acknowledge it or you feel like, mm, yeah, I'll fix it later. You know, like, oh, I'll do, I'll, I'll, yeah, it's fine. You know, and then a friend might be like, no, 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 you got to deal with it. Like, this is an issue. Like, you got, if you don't deal with it now, something's going to come up and they just raise the awareness a little bit higher so that you feel like, no, 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 okay, fine. Yeah, you're right. I've got to deal with it. Right, and you'd be grudgingly like, ah, okay, I'll, I'll fix it up. And I but think that's also being honest with yourself too. To yeah. Be able to also accept the criticism and really look at yourself objectively. Like, yeah, it is true what you're saying, and thank you for caring about me so much. Yeah. That you know you would tell me. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really good exploration of stuff, and I think that's something that I've been really thinking about more recently. This sort of mini mm-hmm. sabbatical after my studies, and then now going into my sort of development professionally um to have this beautiful time to reflect on myself my past my present and where i want to go as well just knowing myself a lot better and knowing my weaknesses and knowing where there are times when yeah the option paralysis and how to manage that um burnout and trying to do too much and always trying to meet people's expectations and or, or, or over over uh, over meet their expectations and where does that come from it's it's a it's a lot to explore i think it is and you have all the time in your lifetime to explore that so remember be patient with your progress yes yeah. trust the process <laughs> trust the process rewind and you're... listen to your own advice yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think you are highly self-aware you're definitely a thinker you have huge ideas so I'm really excited to see what you're going to grow into in your authentic playground that is your social media and in Thank the world. I'm, I'm sure anyone who's listening to this conversation will really want to go and find you. So where can they find you? What are your socials? Uh, my socials are chris.l.piano on Instagram. Uh, I'm on YouTube as well, just Chris Al Piano. And... Uh, I'm also, I have a, yeah, I have a website, uh, sort of semi-blog slash just things. Read his blogs, they're really good. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> chuck stuff in there. Like, it, the blog is like, it's funny because the reason I think I might develop TikTok eventually a bit more, like, I find the right time to do it, is because it's nice to yeah. have a platform where nobody knows you, and you can just chuck things yes. on there, like, knowing that people who, um... Like your friends aren't going to really read it or people you know aren't really going to... Or even if they do, you're unaware of it. And so like the yeah. blog is that platform. I think TikTok is all that, pla- is that platform too because I don't know... I don't have that many friends on TikTok. Uh, that sounds sad. No, I don't have any friends that I know who are on TikTok who, you know, who are following me. Whereas Instagram is like a lot of my friends and, you know, uh, people who have started to get to know me and etc. And so, yeah, so those are like the primary ways um, to find me. I'm working more on Instagram recently because I want to find a way to understand it more. And it's a process. Like, even just coming with the idea that, oh, it's very much to do with aesthetics is a realization more recently. And I've been trying to figure out a lot of different things. I think each each social media platform has their own rules and, like, its own game. 
and uh, it's really hard to figure it all out in the beginning. And so you got to pick one. You got to pick one to really like hone into. And then once you kind of figure out one, then you kind of like, okay, now I feel like I know, I understand how it works. I can go into another one and figure that one out. And then you can kind of link the fans and followers from one to the other. Uh, I think a lot of people more recently just went all in on TikTok. But then they realized that they want to do longer form uh, videos. And so therefore their TikTok links into their YouTube. And so like soon the followers who are following them on TikTok will go into the YouTube and you can develop Mm -hmm. them there. And you can probably do a lot more monetization through YouTube. Uh, I'm not there yet, but (laughs) I know that I know it to be somewhat true for some people. So hopefully that, you know, becomes part of the growth. Yeah, I it's I think it's definitely in your cards in that growth if that's where you choose to go for sure. Thank you. Thank you so much for this lovely conversation. Lots of words of wisdom and insight I think for everybody. And so I hope we can have another wonderful conversation like yeah. this again. Maybe on IG live. That'd Absolutely. Would love too. to. Would love to. Yeah. Anytime you need anything. I really admire and appreciate your work. And I think it's you're you're at a stage where I think it's just it's just blossoming you're like still working on it i know but it's still it's blossoming and it's really cool to see people who are so knowledgeable about the art of the social media thing but also really um, deeply in love with you know, classical music and trying to figure it out um i don't know that many pianists who are actually you know doing as much as as, as you are and so it, they're not all as crazy as I am, that's why. <laughs> well, they might not be... Yo, it's a different kind of crazy, you know? I think everyone has their own crazy tendencies. But it, no, it's, I, I really appreciate the work that you do. And thank you for inviting thank me to be much. part of this podcast. Thank you very much. Let's go and uh, train these social media beasts together. Okay, sounds we'll good. conquer them all. <laughs> well, well, yeah, that'll be really cool. It'll be really cool. Because like, if you think about like the whole span of... A history especially like you said you said this before like classical music content music content creators is like like we're like the pioneers in that area like apart from maybe like ray chen who you know did a lot of that before we did it's like mm-hmm. this is such a new arena and it's kind of interesting that a lot of the gen uh, z and also people younger are going to really want to be content creators like a lot of them will want to like explore this and make it bigger and even Mr. Beast was talking about like how he still feels YouTube is still young, that there's a lot more to grow with YouTube. And so I'm really curious to know how it continues to grow. So it gives a bit more kind of perspective that it's not too late to join. It's not too late to start working on it. It's not too late to start exploring it. And if your niche, for example, is just photos, if your niche is just to write a blog, that's okay too. There's so many options for you to explore, which I think is really in, in, incredible. You don't have to show your face. You can just show other parts of your process. Like a lot of pianists don't even show their face. It's just their keyboard and their hands and then that's it. And so you can, there's a lot of like a lot of um, flexibility and versatility in the way we explore it. So yeah, it's gonna be really exciting to see what happens in the future. I think so. Even as you said, with YouTube being young, I mean, it is it is quite a bit older compared to TikTok and Instagram, but mm. I also think that there are waves in every generation, and you just got to catch that wave and ride it and enjoy it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank you fun. again very much. Lovely My conversation. Pleasure. My pleasure. And I Thank hope we can so talk much. again. Yes, absolutely. We will talk again. I'm sure of it. Yes. <laughs>